0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the Secret Resume podcast, hosted by me, Melody Moore. In this podcast, we explore the people, places, and experiences that have shaped my guests, those which have influenced who they are as people and where they are in their work life today. You can listen in as we have a rich exploration of often unexamined and undiscussed, but very important aspects of their lives, or as I like to call it, their secret resume. My guest today is Julie Smith. So welcome, Julie. Really, really excited to have you here today. I can see into your beautiful office with all of your books behind you. Thank you.
1: Lovely to be here. Yes, many, many books, some of which I've read,
0: most of which I've read, some of which I haven't yet. (laughs) It's your version of reading like mine that you've opened it and maybe read one or two pages and then thought, oh, I don't need to read all of this.
1: Yeah, some of that, although I'll always put it back with the intention of reading it, coming back later and reading it, but I just don't always get around to it. There's some that have probably been on there for 10 years that I've not actually got around to reading it yet, but I will one day.
0: One day. And do you, uh, what's your view on writing in books? Do you write notes? Do you use sticky notes? I use sticky notes. Um and I love
1: it. Actually, I picked up a book recently because I was going to recommend it to somebody and I saw it was absolutely covered in like the little sticky notes. And I just thought that was brilliant. It was such a reminder that it was a like a rich book. There was a lot of content that I liked, mm. so it felt good to be recommending it. Um, and I write notes like a bit like a sort of university library type of idea. I write notes separately. I quite like to have my own notes to come back to.
0: I have to say, I sometimes am sacrilegious and write in the book, Um, Mm -hmm. but I know (laughs) it makes me feel guilty. Uh, But yeah, I'm a great fan of the sticky notes. In fact, I discovered sticky notes that are like a bookmark the other day. So they're all lined up like a bookmark and then you can use them. Oh, this is handy. Yeah. Sounds like a good plan. (laughs) Yes. So tell me, let's start off by just telling us a bit about who you are what you do um, and then we'll dive into your secret resume
1: okay so uh gosh who I am and what I do it sounds like one of those simple questions that could lead to lots of reflection on kind of identity it could be quite deep anyway <laughs> I'll go I'll go simple um so I'll start with what I do I'm a I'm a coach uh, a leadership coach so work with um individuals I work with teams leadership teams um I also do, I guess what you call consulting work in organizations, so supporting businesses to have the leadership and the culture that they want or that they need to achieve their to achieve their goals. Um, I'm also a wife and a mum, and I'm also getting used to this now. I'm also an author. Um, well, I just finished writing my first book, as you know.
0: Have you changed your LinkedIn profile to say you're an author? I
1: have. I have. And I also, during the pro I did it during the process of writing it. And I also changed my, on my email signature, it says author. And I think there was, I don't know whether subconsciously, it was kind of, you sort of got to finish the thing then, haven't you? If you've declared to the world that you're an author, then you've got to get all the way there and get a book out into the,
0: out into <laughs> the universe. <laughs> I haven't put it on there yet. (laughs) Um, Oh, I think you should. You're so close. I know, but I haven't done it. Um, It's interesting, isn't it? A friend of mine, his sister was an Olympic rower, uh, and she used to say that you should declare things. That was her thing, that you should declare your goals and your ambitions uh, Mm -hmm. widely so that people... um, you'll feel that you have to do it then uh yes so, I mean obviously if I declared I was going to be Olympic rower I'm not sure <laughs> it would happen <laughs> but yes I I've yes. always that's always stuck it was a really long time ago that he told me that and I, it's always stuck with me um yeah that kind of yeah. declaration of intent well, it's a bit like in,
1: often in like programs or sessions that I run, I get people to say, even if it's just to the person next to them at the end, what is it I'm taking away? What might I do? And it, there is something about saying that out loud, declaring it to somebody else that the, your, your likelihood of doing it goes up because I guess there's somebody who might hold you accountable. So it's a bit of a version of, of that, really. Mm. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in touch with you next week and check that you have feel like you should put it on your
0: <laughs> LinkedIn profile. <laughs>
1: Melody,
0: now is time. <laughs> it is probably time. You're right. I will, I promise. <laughs> so let's um we'll come back to the book. Um, because it's such a great sounding book. I want to talk some more about that, but let's go back to the beginning of your career. Um yeah. uh, and talk a little bit about some time you spent in Paris.
1: Yeah, which sounds Sounds incredibly glamorous, uh, but but wasn't uh, is in short. Um, so Paris, I I worked in Paris for six months, and it was the start of my career. So I joined Mars after university on their graduate training scheme. Um, moved from historic York to industrial Basingstoke uh, for the the drinks division of Mars that was based there. Glamour. glamour absolutely. And the training programme, like the graduate programme, you did three assignments. So three different parts of the business, three different functions. And you could, it was optional, but you could choose to do one of those abroad. Um, and quite early on, so I started in the September and quite early on, I asked to go abroad for my uh, assignment. So six months after I started work, so I was just 22. I went off to Paris for six months, um, working in the French office in HR and doing everything in in French. Um, and it was <laughs> it was an experience, which I guess is why it's on this secret resume. <laughs> uh, I think it it probably gives something away that the uh, I have a quite a strong memory of sitting on the plane flying out for the first time and sobbing to myself. So I'm on the plane on my own, uh, just quietly sobbing. I think partly because I had quite a big hangover, but mainly because I was just feeling really overwhelmed with the whole thing. Um, And it was, I mean, it was hard. It was really hard. I had another memory was coming home so i lived in the centre of paris because you might as well make the most of it the office was out near the airport but i lived in the centre of paris which meant i did drive in paris terrifying um got home one friday evening so i'd battled my way around the periphery i'd battled my home walked in and when i switched when i turned the light switch um it nothing happened and the electricity had been cut off uh, which was actually pretty understandable because i'd never let the energy firm know that I lived there. So nobody was paying the bill. And as far as they were concerned, the property was vacant or someone was squatting. So yeah, it got cut off. But that was, there were some brilliant moments. I did get to know Paris quite well. There were, you know, it's beautiful. I loved that, but but there was a lot that was really, really hard about it. And I felt that I just sort of survived the six months. Rather than sort of endured and survived the six months rather than really enjoying it.
0: It's quite a brave thing to go and do at a tender age of twenty two, just go off to France. Why? Yeah, what, what was it that made you want to do it?
1: Well, I think that, yeah, I think it is a brave thing to do. Um and I think my learning, as I look back was, I think my reason for doing it wasn't necessarily a sound one so I think my reason to for doing it was more about it other people would be impressed or it was somehow a cool thing to do or it was or it was a brave thing to do but it was it was more sort of how other people would see it rather than I really wanting to do it and I think I think probably the truth was I didn't really want to, I was terrified. And I think I sort of pushed myself to do something that maybe I wasn't really ready for, or didn't perhaps have the confidence for wasn't, yeah, wasn't ready for yet. So I think that question about why is actually quite Mm. an interesting one in that case.
0: And had you studied French? Is that why you were able to work in France? I did A-level French and I'd always found French really easy. It was a sort of just
1: a gift of an A-level just because it just, I don't know, I I suppose, I didn't find all languages easy, but something about French was straightforward for me. Um, So the bit about it being in French wasn't too bad. um, And I did get to the stage where I I was dreaming in French, which I think is a good sign of comfort with the language. Um, Something approaching fluency, although I, I definitely wasn't, fluent um but yeah it was more the living on your own without any friends or family in the country um you know getting to know a city driving on the wrong side of the road you know all of that it was just that's a lot and it was a lot uh for me at that age
0: and was it was the environment welcoming to you your colleagues did they welcome you make you feel at home they did I mean the office was welcoming they
1: they did welcome me and they really helped me with my French and they did they tried not to sort of wrinkle their nose at my accent when I opened my mouth and you know they were really supportive and there was an English guy in the office uh John who him and his wife were brilliant to me so I turned up at their house that Friday evening when I had no electricity I I phoned my dad first of all because somehow I thought he might be able to help from Nottingham at the end of the phone (laughs) um and then having found that he didn't have a magic wand I phoned John and they just said get in the car come here um and I did and they were just yeah they were brilliant throughout so there was there, there there was a warmth um and there was some support but I I still felt lonely and particularly evenings and weekends
0: it felt like sometimes it felt like a bit of an ordeal and so it was a relief to get back to the UK to basic yeah it was yeah. who
1: knew it was, it was a real <laughs> relief who, who knew that I would be so excited about returning to basic so maybe that's the the, the the purpose of the whole thing was to make me like basic so um and I did think as I was reflecting for, for this I remembered that the office they were lovely in the office and they had a collection when I left and the leaving gift was the oddest gift I've ever received. And I just feel like somebody was given the job, panicked, and didn't have much time. And I got a matching set of towels. So, I mean, you know, beautiful as they were, I was 22 returning to a shared house. It wasn't really necessarily the obvious choice.
0: Maybe it's in France. Maybe it's got uh, some significance that you don't know. Maybe so. <laughs> or maybe, maybe they care more about towels, actually. That might be it. So, um, take us to your next um which was a person really it was towards yes. the end of your graduate scheme yes talk, talk a bit That's
1: about that yes so yeah. so still Mars the so the deal with the graduate scheme was varied a bit but in the division that I was in the deal was you did three different assignments and then at the end of that time which was 18 months you were either promoted or you were fired. That was that was the thing because the whole sort of premise of the scheme was we want we're, we're recruiting for potential. And we want people to be able to move through quickly. And for me, at the end of that eighteen months, I was offered a job at the same level. So I was neither promoted nor fired, and the rules were were broken. Um, and the person that I remember was actually the he was the HR director of the division that I was in I'll call him Eric that wasn't actually his name but I'll call him Eric and he I will always remember I can sort of picture myself in this meeting in this conversation I could picture myself there and he said I need you to know that you I'm only doing this I only approved this because Chris Christine Kirby my amazing boss pushed hard for this to be the decision. She thinks that you can do it. She thinks you just need a bit more time and you can do it. I disagree. I don't think you can do it. So he told me to my face that he didn't think I was gonna be able to do it. Yeah, and I think it's one of those really interesting conversations that I, I would have said, well, definitely at that time, my confidence was quite fragile and i think that's the sort of conversation that could have crushed me but actually it didn't it didn't crush me it didn't even upset me but it did make me really really angry and i thought right screw you i will i will prove you wrong and i think that's and that's what it did so actually i've got a lot to be grateful for as i look back to that conversation because and I, and I did prove him wrong so it was a you know it feels like a pivotal moment that at the time was a bit tough but it had a great impact
0: do you know why he said it like did you did he say why no he was quite an
1: interesting chap he was um He was German by nationality. He was quite sort of quiet in that he didn't say very much. He was also quite softly spoken. And I remember him looking at me really intently as he said it. And I do wonder whether his intention was to light a fire. I do wonder whether that was his hypothesis, that that's what I needed.
0: So you said that you thought that he, you know, he may have had an ulterior motive which was to set a fire underneath you and he was right I think so and I don't know that's just me being charitable
1: as I look (laughs) back but I just but he was a bright chap and he was quite intuitive so yeah if that was his intention then it feels like it was it had some risk attached but it but it did work it yeah it really did and I think it did play a part in boosting my sort of self-worth, if you like, because it, because it, it made me grab hold of this, right, I will prove you and I can prove you wrong, and sort of weirdly boosted my confidence when I might have anticipated that it would do the opposite.
0: You said that you at that point had a a fragile confidence have you had you always struggled with confidence at that to that point? Uh, Yes
1: I did know that I was capable but I didn't always feel it if that's not a strange distinction to make so I sort of knew it and I knew and I'd seen data for that I mean it's it's it was difficult to get on the Mars scheme. There were thousands of people who applied and 14 who were offered. Oh. And so there were, there were yeah, ways in which I knew that I was capable, but I could, my self-doubt was very easily triggered. Maybe that's the way to put it.
0: Was this an HR graduate scheme or did you just end up in HR as part of it? How I just ended work?
1: up in HR. So it was a business um, training scheme.
0: I started off in
1: buying and I was terrible. I'm the sort of person that, you know, buyer who would often like to pay the supplier more rather than less. I mean, it was just, that was terrible. Uh, Then I did HR when I was in France and then I did logistics for a while when I got back, which was logistics between the UK and France. So I was able to use some of my language and some of my knowledge. And then I went into HR because that's what I had really enjoyed
0: and what was it about hr that drew you into it that's a really good question um i
1: think maybe because it is so explicitly about both the business and the people um and yeah people are fascinating so i think it's something about that i think it was also the the variety and the and the responsibility that i could have so when I did get my non-promotion and I stayed, um, I was the HR business partner for sales. Um, and that included things like, you know, quite a bit of recruitment. And I remember having my name on an advert when newspapers were still the way that you recruited people. We had an on the, the front page of the, I don't know whether it was the Times or the Telegraph supplement, whichever it was. Um, and it said, you know, apply to Julie Carter, as I then was. And so it it just... And it did feel like a responsibility to be running the process that brought people into the organization to generate sales. So
0: that was really appealing as well. And then you show your family, look, my name's on the Exactly page. that. I, I did. And I kept it for
1: a long time. I don't think I've got it anymore, but I did have it for a long time.
0: And so, your next uh, thing that you're going to talk about actually was in an HR role in Walker's factory. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, after Mars, I um, uh, yeah, went to work for PepsiCo at the Walker's uh, man- manufacturing plant. It was Walker's newest plant in Leicester, which is actually it's about five miles less than down the road from where I'm sitting now. Um, yeah. And that was at the time it felt like a really big hr job that they offered me so i remember getting the job so somebody phoned me first of all and obviously i got all the paperwork and i and i just sort of fairly quickly went from yay to oh shit uh, you know what have i what have i done and feeling quite i guess it's back to confidence but feeling pretty fearful about being the lead HR person for a site and having a team of people working for me. Um, and I still remember going into Waterstones in Nottingham and buying a book called People Management for Dummies, which was just, I just can't <laughs> believe I picked it up. But I was, it felt like that's what I needed. I felt like such a, just, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, I suppose an imposter in, in, in a number of ways in the job, but particularly in having people work for me, like who the hell am I to be anybody's manager? Um, so yeah, I kind of hoped that buying and consuming said book, I think I did actually read it as well, back to our conversation earlier, I did actually read it, but hoping that that would kind of make <laughs> up for a lack of experience and the lack of confidence in that area.
0: You mentioned uh, feeling like an imposter there you know a lot of people talk about imposter syndrome some people are very anti it as a term yeah. what's your view on imposter syndrome? Uh,
1: yeah it's interesting that I use the word actually because I I have avoided it um, in the books I mean, we'll talk later the books about confidence but I've avoided the term and particularly the term imposter syndrome because I feel like now it's got quite a lot of Attached to it, it's a bit distracting as a term because there is the debate about whether it's useful or not. There's also the fact that it feels as though it's got quite a gender tag to it, that it's attached to women. Um, And yeah, I feel like therefore it's it's become unhelpful. It's become a bit distracting from the more sort of fundamental questions about... Confidence. Where does it come from? Confidence and gender, because there is a, a, you know, piece about confidence individually, confidence in a system, confidence in a society. There is a kind of gender aspect to it, um, but yeah, imposter syndrome feels as though it's it. It's not helpful now.
0: So when you talked about feeling like an imposter in that job mm-hmm. what was it that made you feel like that So I think I said earlier that my
1: you know self doubt was easily easily triggered and I think it was just the size of my self doubt so I didn't I didn't see as clearly the capabilities that the business saw. So they, you know, they saw, they believed I was capable and they offered me the job and I I sort of saw that and I would have, uh, you know, come across while well at interview and, and put forward my capability and my experience well. But there was a part of me that didn't fully believe that or didn't, there was a gap between an objective assessment of my capability and my own sense of my capability, which I guess you'd call, yeah, confidence. there was a there was a gap between the two. Um, and I do think that that Lakecroft Road, which was the the place that the manufacturing plant, I think the two years that I spent there, one of the big themes was, overwork and over delivery. And I don't mean overwork in terms of um, an unreasonable expectation or an unreasonable workload set by the business. I mean my own uh, addiction to overwork because it was a it was my substitute at the time, I think, for confidence. And I remember that a guy who, uh, one of the plant managers I worked for, David, was brilliant. Uh, I remember like an end of year event and we were out in a bar somewhere, but we were, well, we must've been a restaurant. We were sat down on the team and he did some informal awards and he gave me the ABCD, uh, yeah, ABCD award, which was the above and beyond the call of duty award. And I remember even oh. in that moment thinking, there's something that's not good about this. There's, you know, it, there's something that's not good about being known for always going above and beyond. And I think I probably didn't realize at the time, but I can see it very clearly now that the driver for going above and beyond was it was about sort of proving to myself and to others, and it was in lieu of the self belief or the 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 confidence that might allow me to do a good job, but not do more than is required every time.
0: You mentioned that with your um, you know, why you'd gone to France as well, like kind of yeah. proving things to other people. does do you think that's been a theme? Yes,
1: I do yeah, I do. but yeah, very strongly. And I think it's one of the re- yeah one of the reasons why confidence as a sort of threat it's definitely a thread through the resume and you know later a thread in terms of you know work and client work that I've done but I think it's one of the reasons why it's of such interest to me because it's really personally it's been a big deal it's been a big presence uh kind of confidence or maybe more accurately its lack has been a big Uh presence for a chunk of my career
0: and did you find that your confidence built as a result of those two years that you spent there uh yes a bit I'd say I don't think it was probably
1: I think there was I think it was later time in Pepsi where my there was more of an acceleration in my confidence um I think it grew a bit in those two years because um just because of the breadth of experience and the things that I dealt with and got through and learned that sort of contributed to my understanding of what I was able to do um so just it was my first time that I'd worked in manufacturing in manufacturing setting supporting manufacturing and so things like a number of just quite a high number of disciplinaries there were court cases there were two employees died in in, while they were employed not at work but while they were employed and all of those things one of the employees one of another employee was sent to prison and i had to figure out how do you terminate someone's employment on the basis that they can't turn up because they've been in prisons quite a long time. So there was a lot that I learned and experienced for the first time. And I think that, yeah, that did contribute to a oh, okay, I can do this as well, I can figure this out. Um, but it feels like look at that feels like a sort of gradual growth in confidence, bit bit by bit, and just quite hard won. Through all that hard work and effort, Do
0: you have mentors or people you could turn to and say, "Oh my God, what well, this has happened! What, what, what would what would you do?" Yeah, I hit. Well, I mean, one of the things that, that immediately comes up when I was at
1: Pepsi was there was a kind of a net a, well, a team of HR managers for different sites, and I would call them up. There were people I could call up. Um, I remember in the early days calling somebody called Orla who was just she she didn't stay that long actually but she was that, and I she was probably the first on my list of all uh, oh, this has happened what the what the hell or you know this is is this normal or well, what would you do and she was such a brilliant voice of kind of sanity and reason I thought like, okay okay that, that's really settling thank you I'll I'll go off um yeah and there was also um the, uh, yeah Jackie who was my boss who's the next as you know my a person on my secret resume she, she was also just somebody i could kind of call and say help or oh, this is really new and generally she would be she would just be a brilliant coach so she didn't tell me what to do but she helped me to figure it out and I guess in that process was trying every time to remind me that I could figure it out, that I did know or I could figure out what to do.
0: So shall we move to her um, as yes. your next part of your secret resume? Yeah.
1: So I've got a big smile on my face as I'm thinking about uh, Jackie. Uh, she was, Jackie didn't recruit me actually, but she the person who recruited me, uh, left about six weeks after I joined. So, um, Jackie ended up being my boss, either directly or indirectly, for almost the whole of the time that I was at, the whole of the 11 years that I was at Pepsi. Um, and she, the reason that she uh, appears on my secret resume is about confidence and is about she made such a difference to my confidence and I think in a couple of key ways. So she, one of the ways that she was that she gave me a, a lot of opportunities and challenges. So she gave me a lot of opportunities, some of which I really enjoyed and welcomed and some of which were God awful at the time, but I, they were important or I learned, you know, learnt from, they were stretching. And it so in doing that and giving me so much opportunity to do something new and look you know figure it out or go wrong and then course correct it just it helped to contribute to that sort of increasing sense or my own increasing understanding of what I could do so yeah to sort of Pushed me to develop new capabilities and to see that i had those new capabilities um, and then the other thing that i've i i say I've, I've said a number of times about jackie and i think it's absolutely true is that she believed in me so fully just you know unwaveringly and so consistently so wholeheartedly that in the end I sort of had to believe in myself. There was, yeah, she, and I, and that, she's no longer with us, uh, very sadly. Uh, we lost Jackie far too young. Um, but her impact, and I know on lots of other people as well, but her impact on me is so lifelong, because she, she did in in those multiple ways really helped me to find my confidence I cannot imagine doing what I do now if it hadn't been if I hadn't had 11 years with Jackie I really yeah can't imagine I need confidence for what I do now and I I think she's part of the reason why I've got it Part of the reason why I found my own confidence, I think.
0: And so was it the combination of the pushing you to do things you wouldn't have put your hand up for? Yes, there was a good degree of pushing. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah,
1: and even things that I didn't enjoy. So, you know, I did a implemented an HR and payroll system and I never want to do that ever again but but you but I found that I could do it but like I didn't really enjoy it but it did involve a very different skill set to being a generalist HR manager in a manufacturing plant and so finding that even if it wasn't something I wanted to do again I could do it and I could do it successfully I think that was a really important lesson there was just a whole yeah series of those things and I, she I think probably other sort of theme was Jackie would probably give me an opportunity before I thought I was ready for it. Not way before, so it was too terrifying, but maybe just a bit before I might have thought myself ready for it, um, which I think is really helpful because it just, it's, yeah, it's a helpful, it's a helpful shove um, into your stretch oh. zone, not, not into panic, but A shove into stretch.
0: Yes. Yeah. So it's like a shove enough, but not too much.
1: Yeah. And a shove with a whole load of support attached to it. So it was a, yeah, Mm -hmm. a a whole load of support and belief. So, you know, I always trusted that she wouldn't have put me in a position that she didn't, she wouldn't put me in any position she didn't think that I could handle. And that in itself has a, 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 well, it's reassuring, I suppose. It has an encouraging effect to it.
0: What do you think she saw in you that you didn't?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think she saw me, I think it's just that she saw me clearly in a way that, I at that point couldn't. So I am um, in the book. I talk about faulty cal- calibration, and I have this uh, this sort of metaphor of looking in um, mirrors. You know, when you go to like a seaside pier or an ar- or amusement arcade, and sometimes the mirrors are distorted. And I think I had I looked in the way I looked in the mirror at that point in time was distorted in that I saw my strengths as smaller than was actually the case and I saw gaps or deficiencies as as big or opportunities as bigger than was the case and I think it's almost like in picture that Jackie's standing next to me and she could see me in a undistorted mirror she could see me how I really was and I could I couldn't or I yeah couldn't until I could if that makes sense it says gradually almost gradually the the distorted mm. mirror was corrected and I could I could see myself in the way that she could see me
0: it's really interesting isn't it what my immediate thought goes to you know where does that distortion come from in the first place yeah is that something that you cover in the book you know where the origins of lack of confidence
1: no not really I think partly because the. Are- in my mind sort of stray perhaps more into therapy territory than coaching mm-hmm. so I think I kind of sit with the what how does how does that impact you so if the, there is a distortion how does that show up and what can you oh. do about it um I think gosh it's a really big question isn't it where does that where does that come from um yeah, really big question. It's also the um, that it's quite difficult to sort of isolate because it comes from. So I think it's sort of attached to. So for me, it's attached to some of the brilliant things that I would want to keep hold of. So some of the distortion in terms of you know kind of big self doubt or seeing development opportunities as big, bigger than they really were contributed to pushing myself hard which contributed to achieving now it wasn't necessarily always enjoyable a process or achievement or you could go back to the Paris example it wasn't necessarily even the right thing to be seeking to achieve but there was something I don't know something powerful in there
0: yeah I don't know, I'm
1: maybe going off piece slightly, Mm. but there's it sort of points to the complexity of a simple the complex answer to a simple question of kind of where you know, where does your confidence come from or where does its lack come from or why doesn't it always show up consistently? Why can I feel confident one moment Mm. and then in a trough of doubt the next?
0: Well, it, it just reinforces to me how what you just talked about there about how no one or rarely is one thing about us fundamentally bad yes. or good. You know, like you say, there are things that you will have got from that lack of confidence mm. that benefited yes. you. Um definitely. Definitely. But but it's it's the when does it get in your way more than it is benefiting you yeah absolutely yeah and I
1: do think that fundamentally it is good for us it's certainly been good for me and I it's good for people I've worked with if we can find a way to balance our to find an appropriate level of confidence by which I mean it, it sort of matches our capability so what mm-hmm. I describe in my experience, often my confidence was behind, was lagging behind my capability, and I don't, you know, wouldn't want to replace that with the the sort of alternative, you know, the opposite of being overly confident, but just being kind of having that sort of grounded confidence that is, it kind of matches up with I know what I can do, I've got a realistic sense of what I'm able to do, and I can own that, including my Strengths and be okay with the things that I'm not able to do, there's a sort of realism mm. about it.
0: Mm-hmm. So talk to me about, um, you, you know, you chose a, at a point to leave Pepsi, Yeah, PepsiCo, is that the yeah. right name, name for it? PepsiCo. Um, there was a, a particular event that, that led to you yes. leaving um, somewhere where you'd been for quite some time. And I just wondered if you were okay to talk a yes. bit about that. Yeah, I am. And I think it is, it's such
1: a, it's absolutely sort of secret resume stuff in that it has had, um, it was quite pivotal in terms of my career, but it's never something I'd write on a actual CV. Um, so it's probably a set that I'd had, in. uh, of an intention somewhere in my mind to leave pepsi at some point and thought that what when i did leave i would set up on my own so what you know it didn't sort of come out of the blue that had been an intention but i didn't have any time scale i wasn't in a rush i didn't have any time scale attached to that um and then uh almost exactly 14 years ago um i had a miscarriage and it was the, so it was between my two children and it was, it was actually the second miscarriage that I'd had. And it was, uh, it was at a point in the pregnancy where I thought I was okay. I was okay. We, we were beginning to feel confident that this would be all right. Uh, and then it wasn't. And, uh, it, you know, not surprisingly that had a, a seismic effect. And I think one of the things that uh, it led me to do was to to resign because I think you know yes there had been this intention to leave but I think when I felt out of control of my own life that this thing this big thing had happened that I didn't want to happen um this was a big decision that I was in control of I felt like I needed to change something and this was something that I could change so without enormous thought so I did sit down and I mapped out I remember doing a mind map of who are people I know who might give me work and what sort of work might I do so these sort of two mind maps and then I and then I resigned um so it was it so it's interesting I would never you know I never wanted that to happen I would never wish that experience on anyone and I I certainly wouldn't say that, I was glad that it happened, but but I can look at that, that loss as a catalyst for a new stage in my career, which I, I've loved. So yeah, as I say, it feels like quintessential secret resume uh, mm. stuff.
0: Well I just want to say thank you for sharing. I know it's not easy to talk about these things and so thank you for sharing that with us. Mm-hmm. And and it strikes me that that you're someone who who a number of times has taken negative experiences of different kinds mm. and used them as a to turn them into positives and into you know a driver for doing something different. Yes yeah I think
1: that's I think that's true i think we'll we'll come to it. That was one of the things that sort of struck me as I thought about the secret resume and kind of tagline for it and that kind of thing. I think there is a a sort of sense of forward momentum maybe even even when things happen that are really horrible at the time uh they can lead to something positive
0: they can definitely lead to something positive positive. Uh-huh. and so when you left is that when you set up talent yes. sprout yeah yeah which probably bring. and so you go on I was just going to say and that's been how long now 13 years did you yeah, say Yeah,
1: 13 must be 13 and a half years yeah
0: Sorry, I interrupted you as well. What were you, what were you about? Well, I, suppose so, I was
1: really just going to say that it brings me to you know the, the the most recent part of, and it's probably not really secret resume because it's what would appear on my CV or LinkedIn profile. But <laughs> the you know the idea of a place, I, I just I what came to me that actually the importance of the place where I'm sitting right now, which was my is my desk, my I, I have my office in the sort of corner of our front room at home um and it I love this little part of my of our house I I love the fact that I've got all of these all of my many books read and unread behind me I love the fact that that's part of the backdrop that people see because it I don't know it feels very me um and this place now represents um the whole yeah the talent sprout chapter in my career which I've which I love and which again as I reflected for today I was thinking well what you know what is it why why would I just say oh it's brilliant love it um I think it 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 may it fits with or it serves a number of values I think so there's something about um learning I love love learning and I've learned so much and there's so I don't tend to repeat things. I tend to do new work with, you know, or new or work with the same clients or take on new clients, learn new sectors, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's just always feeding my appetite for learning. I am my own boss. I love that. I love because the the independence that brings the capacity for choosing what I do or don't do, what I choose to emphasize, what I don't. Variety, love the variety. So again, it's another, I feel that's another need that is met. Um, there's definitely a need to meet around accomplishment, or but yeah, accomplishment being good at what I do, and I feel like that's actually it more. It's probably even more being seen as good at what I do, and that's present as well. Um, and then the fact that it, I mean, I so guess you go back to the sort of the the start of the organization came from a family event, came from the the miscarriage, and then. The very fact of working for myself is gives me, has given me the ability to balance work and family, I think more easily than had I stayed within a mm. a corporation. So I think um and again, links back to sort of the choices that I can make if I a number of years I've you know not worked at all in August or you know or for the whole school holiday, and i can I can do that, which is a yeah, which is a joy.
0: Or as as I was as I was saying, I didn't do that this year. I need to learn from you <laughs> to teach me yeah. how to do that. Um, and talk to me then about what made you write your book. You know, coach yourself confident. We've talked about confidence mm. a lot throughout mm. this conversation so what led you to think I'm going to write a book about this yeah
1: so I think some of the answer is in my own experience and the sorts of things that I've talked about so I think just it's been a you know kind of up close and personal experience of, of confidence um and then alongside that it's been it's been such a theme in the work that I've done um so it appears, in my experience, it feels like it appears a lot in coaching work. Um, sometimes there's the sort of headline. So, you know, somebody might say that that is what they want to work on, but actually much more often it becomes evident that it's, um, that a lack of confidence is playing a part in, in what they want to work on. So they might come say, I don't know, I want to, um, uh, you yeah, know, I need to get a better balance between strategy and operational stuff, and actually you sort of dig under the surface and there's all sorts of things that they believe about themselves and their capability and strategy or the way they see themselves that is playing a part in that. Um, or work work home balance. So actually, you know, people who are doing what I described that I did it, they could've and just work, working and working and working and achieving and delivering and doing really well um, but there's a cost attached to that. There's a potential burnout at at stake there. And it's actually being fueled by this sort of need to prove that comes from a kind of lack, you know, a lack of confidence. So I think the fact that it is, has been a thread for me and that I've seen it as a thread in different ways for so many of the leaders who I've supported. um, It just, i guess quite fascinated by it and wanted to offer something that is accessible for people so i have been able to support other people sometimes to find a, you know find their confidence um but not everybody can have a an executive coach and not everybody's in that position so part of the idea of the book and the title is it's a bit you know it's it's like having a coach within the covers of a book that you can access much at a much more reasonable cost and at 24 7 you know you can pick it up when you need it and when you when you've got time to um so yeah
0: a coach yes. in your pocket yeah. yes I do
1: think pockets. you need quite a big pockets but yeah the idea <laughs> is definitely there
0: so it's aimed at mostly at people who are wanting to build their own confidence is that yes. who you're ideal audiences so I
1: think it's yeah people who are in a in in work probably in a sort of professional setting who know about themselves and other people might see it or not sometimes we're good at hiding our lack of confidence but they know themselves Mm -hmm. that there is this gap between their capability and their sense of the capability their confidence and you know their confidence is kind of lagging behind they don't that fully know or believe how good they are. Um, and I and I took, you know, the sort of blurb on the the back, and it, it it's expanded obviously in the pages, that are broadly sort of two, there might be sort of two camps, one who do the overwork and over-delivery, and pay what I call the self-doubt tax in exhaustion. Um and the other is perhaps people whose self-doubt leads them to step back from opportunities um, and step, you know, maybe not to be quite risk averse, not, not take something on that might help them to see for themselves how good they are. So they're paying the self-doubt tax in a different way and they're paying it in sort of missed opportunities, unfulfilled potential, um, ultimately. Mm. And Some people pay it in both forms wow. actually, but that's
0: yeah. And it's out in yes. February next yeah. year, Oh, it won't be next year by the time we yes. put this out. February so. 24, <laughs> yeah. February 24, brilliant, and available all good Indeed, places. Yeah, for wherever books, you like to yes? buy your
1: books. I'd like to recommend bookshop.org because they support, if you're doing it online, they support local book booksellers but it of course it is also available on amazon
0: <laughs> it would be crazy to it not would. be wouldn't it <laughs> so i'm i'm going to close off by asking you a few of my regular questions that i ask my guests so my first one is about your advice to your younger self yeah uh so i think the advice would be to, to try to
1: set aside the need to prove and I, I say try to because I realize that that's just hard that it's hard to do um but it's so freeing if you can so if you can set aside the need to prove you're more able to make the decisions that are right for you and that you actually want to make as opposed to somehow impressing somebody else or giving a particular impression to somebody
0: else Right, thank you. And what about a strapline or a title for your story? Yeah, I think so. What? I, yeah, what I
1: came to is learning and growing. Mm.
0: And I think you know,
1: I just feel like there's a sort of forward momentum in the sense that all of the experience, whether it's personal in a CV or it's part of your secret resume, just shapes, shapes you, and shapes where you, yeah, who you are and where you are today.
0: lovely and uh what about advice for aspiring authors oh yeah uh so I think yeah the first thing I'd say is
1: so aspiring authors wait for the right idea or, or sit with an idea for long enough that you that you feel comfortable that it's the right idea because you're going to be, and I guess I say that as opposed to I want to write a book. I want to write a book. What could I write it about? I think it it works better if it sort of a uh, grows from within. It's almost like okay, this idea and it and it percolates and you oh. sit with it and it and you're going to spend a hell of a lot of time with this idea. It takes a lot of work and a lot of effort to write a book, so don't rush that process. I suppose maybe the opposite. We don't rush that process of allowing an idea to kind of form and percolate and to um figure out whether it's the one that you want to live so closely with for a period of a period of time
0: did you have other ideas that you discarded along the way
1: no I think I'd had a sort of an intention to or a desire to write a book for years and years and years and then I had this seed of an idea uh in fact thought I'd had a really genius idea that um was an entire book and it was about confidence and as it turns out it it wasn't a genius idea it doesn't even make it onto the pages of this book let alone be the whole thing um but that I suppose that was the start that was the start of figuring out this as a territory that I was sufficiently interested in and felt like I was sufficiently informed about to write about and then I just let it percolate and I was able to which was good practice for the writing process I was able to let that initial genius idea wither away and die because it was rubbish that is good practice you have to do that you have to be willing to do that (laughs) as you well know uh, willing to do that along the way
0: yes yes actually because I had had an idea for a previous book um and kind of pulled together some chapters and then just I don't think I had the energy behind it because it was so much easier yeah. to write the inclusive team yes. um because it it just kind of came to yes. me um
1: yeah
0: you know it flowed and I think that's the difference isn't it I was I was struggling to know where to start with the other one whereas this yeah. just felt more yeah right. maybe
1: that other idea just needs a bit more percolation it might be your next book I mean, you know, maybe it big, mm. it will become yes. clear enough, or you'll get a similar energy for it. Um mm. the other thing, I've got another piece yeah. of advice mm-hmm. if I can offer two. The other would be of course. the other would be reach out because the I have just been overwhelmed by the generosity of people. So either people who I you know knew or people I don't know via social media or other authors who are going through a similar process and it has helped enormously. Like doing going through this feeling like you're in community with others has helped enormously. And I've got to know people through that. I've got to, Melody, I wouldn't know you. I wouldn't, we wouldn't be having this conversation no. if it wasn't for, yeah, kind of being, choosing to, to declare I'm writing this and this is how I'm getting on and engaging with others. And that's been, yeah, that's been brilliant. I would certainly advise people to do that.
0: It's one of the joys of social media, I think, that you are able to connect yeah. with people who you just wouldn't meet normally. Um, and uh, But you have lots in common with them. I and mean, we even went we to did. the same university although yes. we didn't know each other. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's uh, it, I love that about uh, social media. You know, it gets a lot of bad press, mm. but I think the ability to connect is, yeah. is fantastic. Okay, final, final question. A book recommendation.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah, that's caused me some some stress because I've got lots of books behind me and lots of books that I love. Um, I, I'm i going to go with... I'm going to go with one and then if you let me, I might do second. I'm going to go with this one, which is... um, Sorry, it doesn't work on a podcast. Is that I've reached behind me for a book. It is 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. So it's quite um, recent. It's quite well known. It's such... I feel like it's just really worth everybody reading. So the tight the four thousand weeks is roughly the amount of time that we all have on the planet. So it's about how do we how do we make the most of our time on you know our lives, and it is you know on whatever you could pick it up and think it's a time management book, but it's just not. It's a sort of life philosophy book, really. And there are so I found it really. Um, just really thought provoking and yeah I would recommend it to to people because I think almost everybody I know feels time poor feels rushed feels in this kind of swirl of things and it's a very helpful antidote to that I think
0: I've never heard of it so I would definitely be straight off to it's buy that one and uh, go on you can
1: have a second so I had one more, which is uh called the art of enough it's about by a friend of mine uh becky hall so and becky writes beautifully and she writes the, the idea of her book i think is just fabulous it's um about uh being enough doing enough and having enough and those are the sort of three parts to it so Being enough is about kind of your sense of self, where you get your confidence from, um, you know, self worth. It's that territory. The um, doing enough is what probably sits alongside. Actually, it was Becky who recommended Four Thousand Weeks to me, and it is the sort of sense of um, how do you find the right level of. Uh, kind of volume of work between kind of scarcity and abundance how do you what does enough look like what does yeah pushing yourself appropriately look like how do you manage boundaries how do you say no so there's all sorts of rich content in there um doing enough and then the having enough is about how can we live in a way that's sustainable and the inner sort of you know the consumer society that we live in what what choices can we individually make in the spirit of having enough rather than the sort of social norm I guess of having more and more and more and more and more um, so yeah Becky's book would be my second recommendation yeah.
0: also sounds fantastic I'm terrible though as soon as I hear someone recommend a book I'm like right I have to go and get it it's like it's a very um, expensive addiction I yes have I have the same and yes I can, <laughs> I hear you with that <laughs> So, Julia, I just wanted to say thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Um, We've been very honest um, and shared some really interesting and uh, challenging parts of your life. So, yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much for asking me. This podcast is brought to you by Liberare Consulting, with editing provided by Hawkins Social. If you enjoyed today's episode, why not click on the subscribe button so you are the first to hear about new episodes. We look forward to welcoming you back soon.